This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Japan slips exascale schedule. And new products from DDN and Aquila. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. Michael, This Week in HPC, the most interesting story to me was something that's not happening in HPC, or rather it's (laughs) happening a little later, Japan, which I have always been on about Japan has the earliest plans for exascale. Now that's slipping out, and I get to be wrong. Yeah, it looks like that'll happen. I mean, maybe they they can minimize that schedule slip, but at, at this point, they are predicting or projecting a one to two year slip in their um, their initial schedule to get an exascale system out there by 2020. So that means more like something like 2021, 2022, before their mm-hmm. first uh, exascale system at Riken will be in production. Well, and the official plan of record was still that it would be deployed in 2019 and go into production in 2020. And I was always reminding people about that 2019 date because deployed in 2019 looked to me like they always had a shot at, a, at an exaflop on Linpack on the November right. 2019 list. But uh, that part seems to seems to be going away now. And so now the, the big question is who's – well, so first let's talk about what happened uh you know which is yeah. not clear but it seems to be something to do with the processor architecture which has been a developing story all year right i mean they they alluded to something with the semiconductor manufacturing or design end of of the project so that either means uh designing the chip itself that's that's uh powering this uh this system or something with the manufacturing technology at at, at the fab that they're having uh, problems with, or they foresee having problems with, or it could be a combination of the two. But it's certainly um, it's certainly something that's not surprising, in as much as they're designing a whole new chip with a new architecture. In this case, ARM that they've never really done before, and they're they're aiming for a technology node that's uh, going to be probably uh, very challenging to do uh, at at any fab. And I think they're. They're probably looking at, at 10 nanometers for that, and uh, there's probably going to be some challenges there as well. So I think they're looking at sort of the combination of, of design and manufacturing and thinking, you know, we're not going to make it. Well, it was only at ISC less than three months ago that they announced that this was going to be an ARM architecture for the post-K system at right. Riken, and then they kind of reaffirmed those plans at the at the Hot Chips conference pretty recently. So now we don't know exactly what it is. Is it trouble with the ARM chip itself? Were they envisioning an ARM Spark hybrid, and now that's not going to work for some reason? Is it a problem with volumes? But it's something to do in the microprocessor architecture, and, and yeah. with it being such a new plan, uh, you know, maybe the possibility of a slip was a foreseeable consequence. But but anyway, the that's now happened, and there's a question of who's now in the lead for Exascale. Uh, you know, the the shortest money right now would probably be on China, if only yeah. for their willingness to put up a system just to hit the exaflop rate, uh, exaflop mark in the uh, overall race. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100%. They the Chinese look at this Exascale race in a different way than the other countries, certainly different from the U.S., who I think does does not want to put up anything close to a stunt machine for, for its exascale, for its initial exascale system. 
um, and, and even the Japanese, they, were, they wanted to put up a production system that would have a, a product, uh, a solid product behind it. The Chinese seemed less inclined to do that. They're, uh, they're more than willing to put up a one-off system, I think. And if, if that's sort of the mentality there, they're much more likely to be able to put up uh, an exascale system in 2020 since they don't have to deal with all of the other challenges of, of putting up a, a system that has longevity to it down the line than, than putting up just a, a one-time deal. Yeah, and France has got to still be in the running as a possibility yep. with a bull Sequana system from Atos, depending on when CEA intends to buy one. That's certainly going to be a possibility. Now, you were talking about the DOE with their exascale uh, initiative and, and the desire not to do a stunt system. Uh, to that point, the exascale computing project, ECP, uh, out of the the DOE announced last week, we mentioned it briefly on the end of the, on the, end of the podcast, that they put out uh, $39.8 million, just under $40 million in first-round application development awards for the Exascale Computing Project to start actually working on what are the applications we're going to have on these Exascale systems in the U.S. Yeah, and I think it's it's significant they've done significant that they've done that because it's the first large chunk of money that I can remember that's been uh, associated with the software side of uh of, of the Exascale project, or at least the application software side of it. And it's this is an important element to the DOE because, of course, they're all about co-design, so they need to, they need to bring the applications in early to, uh, to sort of uh, drive some of the uh, hardware design as well. Um, so getting this money out there and, and getting these applications going before, before the hardware design gets too far ahead is, is important to these people. And, uh, you know, they, they picked out uh, 15 projects, basically 15 proposals for full funding and then a, a, an additional seven for seed funding. So it's a good array of, of applications. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff. And, and I, to your point, it's critical to the definition of exascale. And, you know, if we're going to have a difference between exascale and exaflop, it really has to be in, do you have applications that are, are running on it? Or, or else what's the, the difference between exascale and exaflop? And looking down that list, there's a lot of great stuff that they're working on yeah. with exascale. The first one that jumped to, to my eye, I think you wrote up on top500.org as well, was uh, where with uh, Rick Stevens as the principal at Argonne National Labs doing exascale deep learning and simulation enabled precision medicine for cancer. Yeah, I mean, what was most interesting to me about that is actually it's a it's a deep learning application that that calls out exascale as, as sort of one of the scalability goals. And you know, we we talk about deep learning, machine learning quite a bit on this podcast, but we don't talk about it in anything of the scale of what what's being attempted here. I mean, most of these deep learning clusters you, you hear about there, you know, there are a dozen or two GPU clusters, maybe, you know, tens of, or tens of teraflops, maybe hundreds of teraflops for, for the ones we don't know about, but nothing even like at, at a petascale. And here they're trying to build an application that can use an exascale machine. So this is something that's quite interesting, not just for HPC uh, users, but for uh, AI uh, aficionados as well. The other one that that caught my eye was additive manufacturing application that uh, that's trying to use exascale technology. The additive manufacturing is an interesting deal. It, it's something that basically is a combination of what what we know as known as 3D printing plus 
digital manufacturing. So it's not just it's not just printing out a plastic bowl on a personal 3D printer. It's actually printing out something, you know, on the scale of like a, a, a jet engine or, or a complex manufacturing component. So obviously this is a, a different scale of of manufacturing and, and 3D technology and needs a lot of uh, computation behind it to to drive those technologies. So that was that was a very interesting application. Something that I don't think's been uh, been at the forefront of of the application set for Exascale in the past. So uh, I think that was a good pick by the committee to to fund that one. Yep, that's John Turner at Oak Ridge is the principal on that, with assistance yep. from uh, Livermore, Los Alamos, and NIST. If I had another one that that uh, got my eyebrows shooting up, it was. Uh, looking at uh, the Earth's water cycle simulation and climate modeling, uh, complete with a cloud-resolving model. This is Mark Taylor at Sandia National Labs with uh, assistance from a lot of the other National Lab folks. Uh, cloud modeling. It, this is one of these times you say the word cloud and you actually mean the cloud in the sky. These are very difficult to model. And if you're going to do the entire water cycle, you kind of have to get the clouds right. Yeah, it's also interesting. This was the only one on that list that had anything to do with climate. You would think there might have been at least one or two more, especially since one of the killer apps for Exascale was supposed to be, you know, the global uh, global warming, global climate model for that. This this sort of approaches that, but it it doesn't address that directly. So, um, sort of surprising that it didn't hit the the global warming simulation and modeling a little bit. But who knows what the uh, the list of applications to choose from by these initial uh, these initial proposals, but uh, at least I got that one in there. One possible omission here that you were noticing: where's our brain research? Right. I mean, the DOE. You know, we don't think of it as a as a as a life science or or it's a, not an NIH kind of thing. Yeah, it's not an NIH, but it's on it's on the DOE's list of applications they do want to support. And uh, and like you said, it's not on this list. And again, maybe nobody put in that proposal, but it's. It's a big deal. There's a big effort in the U.S. and Europe going on uh, to do brain simulation to simulate the whole brain, the whole human brain, and certainly that's being considered another, you know, killer app for Exascale. And, and in this first uh, first list of supported applications, it's just uh, missing. All right, Michael, rounding out our podcast also this week in HPC, we've got a couple of product announcements that we want to at least quickly get out there. How about I take one and you take the other? Sound good? <laughs> Sounds good. All right, I'll start with the DDN WAS 8460. This is a new object storage appliance that fits in between their WAS 9660 and the 7000. It essentially extends the SAS form factor of the 7000 into a two appliance form factor. So it's a product line extension from DDN, but why it's particularly noteworthy is they're using this as, a, as an opportunity to reintroduce the entire WAS line and particularly with the benefits of object storage and the fact that DDN is offering a no FS, a no file system object implementation here. There are a lot of people who are offering object storage with a file system gateway, which is nice from a storage administration standpoint if you feel like you really want to have SIFs or NFS or or, uh, or a standard file system for uh, maintaining your object storage. But when you do that, you're implicitly giving away some of the benefits of, of object to begin with in terms of uh, the, the benefits that object can bring to the table. So here's a, a NoFS uh, file system, or sorry, a, a NoFS object implementation 
that uh, that they're claiming, among other things, can save money by allowing you to reclaim some of the storage in the uh, the the, uh, the blocks that would uh, wind up being tracking your metadata in the file system uh, uh, arena. So you wind up saving, uh, they're claiming up to 15% on your storage space is among the benefits in the WAS line. They also have a WAS software only implementation that can be put onto other people's hardware. So the, the DDN WAS 8460 now out in the market. Now you've got a product launch also. Yeah, the other product news this week that caught my eye was from a company called Aquila. It's a system provider based out of uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And what they've unveiled is uh, a very interesting server platform. It's it's liquid-cooled. It's one of these warm-water cooling technologies. Um, but they use sort of their own their own design. Actually, it's a design developed by Cluster Systems. They're just licensing the technology, and they're putting together the whole system based on this. But... It's the liquid cooling that's sort of at the crux of, of this uh, server platform. Basically, uh, they use a cold plate technology, but instead of just sucking off heat from you know the the usual suspects like the the processor and and the RAM, which tend to be the hottest components on the on the motherboard, they will they will cool any component that's over two watts. So basically, this cold plate is designed specifically for a, an Intel motherboard. And anything that that's generating sort of the least amount of heat will get cooled by it. So it's very efficient. It it basically sucks off all the heat off this thing. And they're they're saying something like uh, they're estimating a 50% savings in energy and cooling because of that. And it's not just because of the cooling. They've also got uh, another interesting piece of technology. They do uh, AC to DC to direct current uh, conversion into the server. So they get sort of that... Uh, that efficiency as well. So they basically had done things to minimize the energy usage out of this platform by as much as they could. And the the water cooling is the biggest part of it, but also they've got the DC cooling. And they've looked at it and they think they can probably beat anybody out there, any of the other warm water cooling systems, and maybe even uh, something on the order of, of what I think we've talked about in the past with these immersion technologies where you dip the, uh, the whole server into these dielectric things. I mean, that's a a very sort of messy and uh, technology, but they are very efficient. And I think they can approach that sort of efficiency just with these cold plate uh, liquid cooling technologies. So it, if it works as advertised, it's going to be a pretty, uh, for pretty impressive system, something that should catch the attention of uh, a lot of HPC data centers. Yeah, well, what I like about these two announcements, the DDN WAS and the Aquila Aquarius, is with object storage and liquid cooling, they are hitting right on two of the really hot technology areas that we talk about in HPC right now. Yeah, very much so. I mean, these things, we don't always talk about them. I mean, it's not like we see uh, an object storage product every week, and certainly the the hot water cooling products are, are few and far between, but they are very important, and to the people that are are focused on these technologies they're they're critical so it's nice to see some innovation in this area and some of the some of the companies moving forward with uh, with new offerings and i'll be all over these uh, current trends at a bunch of meetings next week the travel's going to get going michael next week i'll be able to tell you about my exploits from ibm edge from the hpc advisory council in leon spain and then the iisw partner meeting at the barcelona supercomputer center Oh, very good. Okay, well, hopefully we'll, we'll track you down for those podcasts, and you'll be able to do a little bit of live reporting. 
Looking forward to it, Michael. Thanks a lot. Thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.